Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. may not know, I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here at New Life. And Pastor Brad, last weekend, told us something really important. He told us why the Bible ultimately matters. And in his take-home point, what he said is, God has revealed himself and his plan in his word. That's why the Bible matters. That's an incredible statement. The God of the universe that created everything has revealed himself to us, who he is, and he's told us his plan for us in this book. And that's why it's so valuable and so important. I couldn't wait to share this message with you because what we're going to do today is something I've never done before. We're going to take the six toughest questions I've ever been asked, three questions that everybody asks, And three questions that primarily Christians ask, and we're going to answer them from God's Word. And what I've done is I've actually put together this little booklet. It says, Tough Questions in Biblical Responses. Actually, I did the words and Brad put it together, but and somebody else printed it out. Anyway, uh, it's not in your connection, and you'll get it on your way out of the worship center. The reason I didn't give it to you in your connection is because I want you to listen to me, not read this thing while you're sitting here today. Because this is not a lecture. You see, there's a difference between a lecture and a message. A lecture is simply disseminating information. If all I wanted to do was pass information along to you, I would have just given you the brochure and said, hey, go enjoy your Labor Day weekend, right? But what our goal in preaching a message, every weekend, whoever's up here preaching, our goal is that God will open all of our hearts, yours and mine, And that we will hear from Him. And the only way to hear from Him is through His Word. And that's why all the messages here at New Life are based on His Word. So, if you've looked at your connection, you already know what the title of today's message is. It's Work That Lasts. And you already know that the take-home point is that only when we work with heaven in mind does our work last for eternity. And you know that today's commitment before we leave is going to be, I will work for the Lord's glory in all I do this week. And knowing that's important because we are going to focus on work. And not just work that we go to to on Monday to Friday or school, if that's our work, you know, Monday to Friday or whatever, seven days a week or however many days. Not work that will last for a day or that will last for a week or a month or a year or even a a lifetime, but work work that will last forever. And, And the only kind of work that lasts forever is work that's done for Jesus, work that Jesus would consider good. Now... Before we get to that, we're going to look at these tough questions. I'm going to ask all six of them right now, and then we'll answer them one at a time. So it says, number one, this is the first question, and it's the question everybody asks, whether you're a believer or not. If there's a loving God, then why is there so much suffering in the world? The second question is, could a loving God send a person to hell for eternity? And the third question is, is there really only one way to salvation? So let's look at the three questions that Christians ask. Um, There are more than these, but these are the big ones. The first one that I've heard over the years is, why doesn't God seem to hear or answer my prayers? And the one that I've been asked more than any other one is this, what is God's will for my life? And then here's a question that I don't know that a lot of you have asked, and it's a question that I personally wanted to ask because it's the only way we can get to this matter of work that lasts, and that is this question, and that is, is God going to judge me when I die? And I could add, if I'm a Christian. Is God going to judge Christians when we die? So, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, you might not like some of the answers to these questions, and neither do I. The the thing is, it doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't really matter what you think, because this book isn't about us. 
There's only two ways you can look at this book. You look at it as the Word of God that's about God, and it's for us. Or you can look at it from my perspective, from your perspective, and you go into the book and you try to find answers to your questions the way you want them to be answered. I've had so many people come to me and say, Pastor Chris, I've been trying to find this in the Bible, and I can't find it. And I say, that's because it isn't there. Because you want God to think what you think is right. And in this case, you're wrong. You see, sometimes we come to this book, and I'd say a lot of times we all come to this book, and we hope that the answer that we think is right is right. So we're going to look at these six questions. We're going to look at biblical answers to them. And I hope that one of the things that will happen is that you'll have an open heart, because I can't open your heart, only God can. But you have to let God open your heart. In fact, we're going to pray right now before we get to these answers. And we're going to ask God to open our hearts. And I, and if, I sincerely pray that you'll, that you'll pray that prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, I do pray that you'll open our hearts. So that when we open your word today, our hearts will be open and receptive. So that we can receive the message and then live it in the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we can answer our questions, we have to know who God is. And, and the first thing the Bible tells us is God is a creator, not just a creator, the creator. And I found out something so cool this week when I was reading that book, um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I found out that Albert Einstein, and everybody heard of Albert Einstein, right? He, had, he created the general theory of relativity. And when he, well, he discovered it. When he discovered it, he almost didn't tell anybody because it upset his worldview. Because Albert Einstein thought that the world... And the universe was eternal. That it wasn't created, that it was always here. You see, if the world was always here, if it's eternal, then you don't need God. But his general theory of relativity proved that the world and the universe had a beginning. There was a point when it didn't exist, and then there was a point when it did exist. It's as if someone created it out of nothing. And that's what Albert Einstein realized. If the universe started then somebody started it. It's the only reasonable answer if you're Albert Einstein. There are a lot of people that today don't believe that. But, you know, it doesn't matter what we believe. It matters what's true. If the universe started, then somebody started it. Or something started it. It, it surely didn't just start. I know there are a lot of people that believe that, but it takes more faith than I have to believe that. So, the God of the universe created everything. Look what he says right here. It says, then God said, oh, I'm sorry, Let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day and this is what we find if we read all of Genesis 1 and all of Genesis 2, which is where creation is recorded, we find out that God created everything, everything in the whole universe, and he created us last, and he created us in his image. And this is what the Bible, what God says to us about us, and it's in Genesis 1, starts in verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. That's a key word there. We're supposed to govern the earth with God. That's our work. Um, Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So God created us in his image, and he shared his work with us. And so, what's our work? Work that lasts is this kind of work. Work from God, it was to rule with him over all of creation. God had a very perfect plan because God is perfect. And his perfect plan said this. A man and a woman would grow up. And they would come together and they would have children. And then those children would grow up. And the man and the woman in those families would come together and they would get married and they would have children. And so a family would become a community. And then a community would become another community. And another community would become another community. And they would populate the earth from the North Pole to the South Pole and from East to West. And what would happen then is they would reign with God over all creation. That's our work. Work that lasts. And it was awesome and it was great. And and picture this. Um, Work was fun. Say that with me. Work was fun. All the time, work was fun. All right, work was fun. And and say this with me. Husbands love their wives all the time. Husbands love their wives all the time. Wives love their husbands all the time. Actually, there's only one husband, one wife. It only lasted for one generation. And then we messed it up. We decided that God's plan wasn't a good plan. And when I say we, I do mean Adam and Eve. The very first two human beings were deceived by the serpent who was Satan in disguise. And he came to Eve and he said to her, you know, God gave you a rule. Only one rule. And that rule was what? You can't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do, you'll die. Well, that's not true. God's, God's a liar. What Satan convinced Eve, two things. God is not good. And you'll make a better God than God. And when Eve believed those two lies, that God is not good, and that she would make a better God than God, she ate the fruit, then Adam ate the fruit, and the consequences have been on all of us forever, and they will be on all of us until Jesus returns. That's what the Bible teaches clearly. So, this is the thing that happened to Adam. God came and he spoke first to the serpent, then to Eve, then to Adam. We're going to read what God said to Adam first because it's about work and we're talking about work this Labor Day weekend. And to the man, God said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return from the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. You see, God had already cursed the serpent. In fact, what God had said to the serpent was, one day a seed that is a descendant of Eve, that would be Jesus, would crush the serpent's head, and he would be done forever. And then God had said to Eve, Eve, you're going to have pain in childbirth, And you're going to struggle with your husband, but your desire is going to be for him. There had never been a marital adjustment session before this happened. But then, from then on, it was always going on. Eve was always at Adam. Adam was always at Eve. And it's been that way ever since. And then Adam. Adam, by the way, work's going to be hard now. You're going to sweat when you work. And then you're going to die. And so is every one of your descendants. Because you thought my plan wasn't a good plan. So here's the response to the first question. If there's a loving God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Short answer, because we rebelled against God and he led us. We rebelled against God and he led us. That's why there's so much suffering in the world. For example, after worship, does anybody know where Ball's Bend is over by Mars? 
Anybody? Okay, if you don't know, it's a 90-degree turn. Okay, just picture you're driving down the road, 90-degree turn's coming up. You decide you're going to drive 125 miles an hour up to that turn. You can do that, right? You have the freedom to do that. And then when you get to the turn, you expect God to suspend the laws of physics so that you'll be able to make that turn. But you won't make that turn. And you will crash. And when you crash, you might die. And when you crash, you might hit into other people and they might die. You see, when we decide to do something that's contrary to God's plan and purpose, what happens is bad things happen. And not all the things we do are sin that are against God's purpose, but they're all bad. And another, let's make it a closer to home example. Let's say that you're in a relationship with somebody and that person lies to you. When that person lies to you, you could decide, I don't want to be in a relationship with a liar, so I'm going to end the relationship. So the consequence of lying is a broken relationship. The thing is, God has revealed his plan to us and we rejected it. And because we rejected it and rebelled against it, there is suffering in the world. And I know some of you are saying, well, what about the innocent people that never did anything wrong? Well, in this book it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one who hasn't done anything wrong. Well, what about the little baby who's inside his mother's womb and he already has cancer? Well, here's the thing about sin. Sin is systemic now. Systemic means it's throughout all the systems of the world. and of the, uh, it's, through, it's through politics. It's through philosophy. Think about the world before sin entered the world. There were no diseases. There were no weeds. There were no hard jobs that made you sweat. There were no politics. And there are certainly no demented philosophies that say there's no God. All of those things are our fault. I told you you weren't going to like the answer. But that's the answer. You see, God always desires our best. Always. And the only way we can live the best life that we've ever been you know, hoping to live, and everybody wants to live this great, wonderful life, but there's only one way to do it. It's to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, find out what His Word says, and then do it. And if we do that, we will have the best possible life we can ever have in all of these sinful things that we still may be impacted by sin. Best example I know of that, March 19th, Nancy and I were sitting in our car doing nothing. And a person drove across five lanes of traffic, going 50 miles an hour, smashed into our car. Could have killed us. What did we do wrong? Guess we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. We didn't do anything wrong. But the truth of the matter is, God willed his best for us in that moment. Had we died, we would have gone to heaven, which would have been a better thing. We did live, and there was another car behind us, and if we weren't there, perhaps that car would have smashed into the young people that were there, and they would have died. So maybe we were just standing in the gap that day. I don't know. But what I do know is, God always has his best in mind for us, which is our best, by the way. And if we will believe it and live it, our life will be better. Not easier, but better. Okay, question two. Could a loving God send a person to hell for eternity? Of course not. A loving God could not send a person to hell for eternity. But neither would a loving God send a person to heaven who doesn't want to go. You see, hell's the best God can do for some people. Because all their lives they've rejected God. All their lives they've said there is no God. All their lives they've said, yeah, this Jesus, he's a myth. This Jesus, he's just a, you know, he's just a teacher or whatever. But he's not really God. And I don't want to have anything to do with him. So how would that be loving for God to let that person go to heaven someday? So you have to spend eternity worshiping a being you never wanted to have anything to do with? 
So you and I have an opportunity to either respond to Jesus here and now, like the question said on the, you know, on the video there. The question is, what are we going to do before Jesus returns? Because after he returns, too late. But before Jesus returns, we can respond to his offer of eternal life. And if we respond, we don't have to go to hell. And people always say, well, what about those aborigines over in Australia? Well, if you're concerned about them, go tell them about Jesus. Huh. Never thought of that. We've had 2,000 years to tell everybody on the earth about Jesus. And we still have 40% of people haven't been told. How's that possible? Do we really believe what we say we believe? Okay, let's move to the third question. Is there really only one way to salvation? Yes, because there's only one God. Now, if there were 100 gods then I guess there would be a hundred ways to salvation. But there's only one God. And since there's only one God, and he said, through his son Jesus, what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is saying there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus. And you say, Chris, that's awfully exclusive, don't you think? What about all the Buddhists? What about all the Hindus? What about all the atheists? Well, you see, I hate to say it, and I'm saying it with all humility. They're wrong. They're wrong because they're they're believing in following a religion. Religion is the human effort to find God. Christianity isn't a religion. Christianity is a relationship with the living God of the universe that although we rejected him, he didn't reject us. And, and, And we don't have to go looking for him. He's looking for us. In in the 23rd Psalm, it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's not follow me in the Hebrew. It's pursue me. Goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. God is after us. That's why he was called the hound of heaven. Some of the Middle Ages literature. Because he's after us. He's on our scent. He wants us to know him. He doesn't want us to go to hell. He doesn't want anybody. What does Jesus say? It isn't the Father's will that even one little one should perish. And so when we ask these questions, why is there suffering? Because of us. We don't want to look in the mirror and say, whoa, I'm the cause. And not maybe you personally at this moment, but human beings are the cause. We don't want to look at it and say, you know, people are going to go to hell because they've rejected God. And that's personal responsibility. And we're not big about personal responsibility in America today. And, and, and the, the last one, you know, uh, we'd like it to be, you know, there's many ways to the top of the mountain. Well, if you're going to the top of the mountain, it might be true. If you want to go to God, there's only one God. So there's only one way. And, and the interesting thing is, when we were formed in our mother's womb, God knew about that before the creation of the universe, and he had a plan for us that he knew we would reject, but which he then decided he would do something about for us. And the central truth of our, of our faith is summed up so well in this little sentence by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, where it says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. God. The one God was in Christ, reconciling, meaning bringing back together two parties that are broken in their relationship. And and Jesus did the reconciling by dying on the cross for us. And we may see suffering all around us and even within us, but it isn't because God isn't loving. It, It isn't because God doesn't want us to have a good life. 
It's because we've rejected him and his plan for us. Now you say, Pastor Chris, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Praise God, so have I. Well, then our lives ought to be radically different than the lives of everybody else out there in the world. Our lives ought to be so different that people notice it. We ought to live in victory. We ought to know that there's no condemnation for us. In fact, one of my favorite verses is Romans 8, verse 1, which says this, Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And we go around feeling condemned all the time, don't we? I didn't do enough for Jesus today. Or, I sinned and I'm such a sinner and I can't stop sinning. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If somebody's condemning you in your mind, you know, you hear that little voice. That's not God. God convicts us. He doesn't condemn us. Conviction is the, the reality that we've sinned so that we'll turn, which is repent and have a new life. Or get back to that new life. Condemnation comes from the devil. He condemns us. He says, you're not worthy to be a follower of Jesus. No, we're not. Heck, when the devil lies to me, I just go, hey, you know, I know I'm not worthy. What's your point? Jesus died for me. Go play in the street. Go do something. You know, I don't have time for you. All right. So let's ask these questions now or address the questions that, that Christians ask. Here's the first one. Why doesn't God seem to hear or answer my prayers? Why doesn't God seem to hear or answer my prayers? The short answer to that is God hears every prayer that we offer. I know that because of Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, which says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Before we ask for food or clothing or whatever it is we need, God already knows we need it. He already knows before we ask. Whatever it is, He already knows. But the key verse is the next one. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God. If we want our prayers to be answered, the first thing we have to do is seek God first and his kingdom and his righteousness. Because here's the thing. God promises. I, I read this to say that God promises that if we seek him first, if we put him first, he will give us what we need. All my life I've lived on that premise. People have come to me and said, Pastor Chris, I've heard that Christians are supposed to tithe. And I say, well, yeah, it says that in the Old Testament. Jesus confirmed it in the New Testament. But here's the thing. What are you really getting at? Well, I, I don't know that I can really give 10% because then I won't have enough. And I said, well, that's true if you don't put God first. But if you put God first, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and he'll give you the stuff you need. So if you do what he says, then you're going to have what you need. He will answer your prayers if you ask them in faith. Pastor Brad pointed that out last week. Don't ask a prayer without faith because God is in the business of answering prayers that are offered in faith. And then the second thing about this whole deal is a lot of times people say, well, I asked in Jesus' name. And you know what Jesus said? If I ask for something in his name, he'll give it to me. Jesus is not a vending machine. I want a million dollars in Jesus' name. Okay, was that prayer in Jesus' name? No, it just used the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name means that it's in the will of Jesus. It means it's in the purpose of Jesus. It means that when I ask you prayer, I could say, Jesus, I want a million dollars so I can feed hungry people all over the world and tell them the gospel. He could answer that prayer. But if I want a million dollars for me so I can have a big house and a nice car or whatever, I, I don't think he cares about that. Because he's going to give us our needs. He gave me a 1997 Toyota Camry. I love that baby. You know, when I drive down the road, those Mazda, or those, uh, what do you call them, Mercedes, they get out of my way. <laughs> they don't want to dent their car. I don't even care. You see, 
God answers my prayers. And, you, and we're laughing, but it's true. What, what do you want? I don't know what you want. What do you need? I'll tell you what. I've been finding out something. I don't need whole much, as much as I think I do since Bun Thorne's been living with us for seven weeks. He comes from Cambodia, and he's shown me how much stuff I don't need. God answers the prayer that's asked in faith, that's, answered, that's prayed in his name, meaning in his will, and when we put him first. Okay, second question for Christians, and this is the one I've been asked more than any other question. What is God's will for my life? Now, if you've been reading one-to-one this week on the church's website, you know my answer to that question. God has a general will and a general call in each of our lives, and he has a specific will and a specific call in each of our lives. Now, on weekends, this is what we do. We talk about God's general call and general will for our lives. His general will is very simple. That we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. And that we would go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's both his call and his will for each and every person in this room. You don't have to wonder, does God want me to tell people about Jesus? He does. You don't have to wonder if God wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. He does. Even the ones that, you know... Do the stuff you don't want him to do. All right. So what about the specific will? What about the specific call? Here's what I've experienced. And I know I've experienced with lots of people. When we're doing God's general will and when we're living out God's general call in our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, sometimes he taps us on his shoulder. He says, you, I want you to do something specific. He did it to me when I was 17 years old, and I was having a Bible study on a week-to-week basis with our pastor named Andy Wygant. And one day, he was telling me about the Holy Spirit, and I went home that night, and I was praying. And as I was praying, God did some funny things and, and, and filled me up with his Holy Spirit. And this is what he did. And when I say funny things, he asked me to be a pastor. And I said, no way, Jose. Ain't happening. I was going to be rich and famous, you know, like a general in the Army, maybe the President of the United States, maybe a neurosurgeon. I don't know. I wasn't going to be a pastor. You know how hard it is to get to be rich and famous from here? (laughs) I didn't want to do it. And so he kept talking. Just like Moses. You ever heard about Moses? Moses said, God, I want you to deliver my people. Moses said, I can't do that. I've been watching sheep for 40 years. It's, you know, pays the bills. I really don't want to do what you want me to do. And so God gives him a couple of little examples, pretty impressive examples, I might say. And finally, Moses said, get somebody else. God says, no, do it for me or else, I don't know what, or else would be. Your God probably could be pretty bad for you. So anyway, Brad, Pastor Brad, eighth grade, he was on a mission trip in Washington, D.C. And in the night, they're having a little devotional time. And one of the leaders said, I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to put my hands on some people. I feel that God's calling into ministry. And one of the people was Brad. And Brad responded, I think a little quicker than I did. But the point is this, when we're doing God's general will, sometimes he taps us on the shoulder. I've found it's usually in something like a mission trip, a one-on-one Bible study, a little small group, something like that. This is a bad place for God to give you a specific call, although sometimes he does. Because God is God and he can give us whatever he wants, when he wants, how he wants, as long as it's good for us. God will never do anything bad for us, which takes us back to our first question. Okay, so then let's look at this last question. This last question is a question that people don't want to talk about. In fact, I've had people tell me that I'm wrong about this, 
and, and, I, and you can tell me I'm wrong about this, but I'm going to read it right out of the Bible, and you're going to see what I'm talking about. Okay? We're talking about work that lasts. If I'm a believer, here's the question. Is God going to judge me when I die? If I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm already a Christian, so is God going to judge me when I die? And the short answer to that is yes. God judges everyone. God judges everyone. He judges the unbeliever in a different way. The unbeliever is judged and goes to hell. The believer, on the other hand, is judged based on what we do after we've trusted Jesus as our Savior and Lord, after we've been born again. I've had people all, all my life, people have said to me, you know, I don't really know if you can know if you're going to heaven. I don't really know if you can know if you're saved. Yes, you can. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says this. It's in this book, but I'm reading off my little paper here. Okay? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not might be, could be, possibly. You will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Now, here's the thing. I know a lot of people who have done that. They've said, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior and Lord. I believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead. And then they go, oh, I'm good. I'm going to heaven when I die. So I don't have to do anything else the rest of my life. I just have to wait for the bus to come. And I hope it doesn't come too soon because i got some living to do. And that's how people live. That is not why we get saved. We don't get saved so we'll go to heaven. I mean, we do go to heaven because we're saved. We get saved so we can live the life we could never live before. We get saved so we can obey God because before we are saved, we cannot obey God. We can't. I mean, we'll try and we get it right a few times and then we become legalistic and like a Pharisee if we get it right because we're doing everything in our effort or we just give up and we go, oh, heck with it. I'm just going to go out and whatever, have a party. The truth of the matter is, God has told us that if we put Jesus Christ on the throne of our lives, the center of our heart, and have the Holy Spirit living in us, our lives are different, radically different. And the challenge is we look around and we say, whoa, wait a minute, I don't see any difference. And sometimes there isn't any difference because we are not receiving the gift of God's ongoing grace. We want the grace that saves us from sin and death because we don't want to go to hell but we're not saving the on, or we're not receiving the ongoing grace that would sanctify us, make us holy like God. Because some people aren't even sure they want to be holy. They just want to go to heaven when they die. And, and so here's what it says. And, and this is tough stuff. I'm going to tell you right now. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and following says this. Paul wrote it. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than one we already have, Jesus Christ. So here's the picture. This is the foundation. This is Jesus Christ. Jesus used this image himself in the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Anybody who hears these words of, my, of mine and does them is like the wise person who builds their house on what? Rock. And Jesus is the rock. Because when the rain and floods come, the, the house stands. So Paul is saying, I've laid the foundation to you, Corinthian people, you all have Jesus Christ, you're saved, you're born again, you're going to heaven when you die. So here it is. Now, what's he say? Be careful. Because now he's using a metaphor, we're going to build a house. And here's what the house is made of. It tells us right there in the next couple of verses, it says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, on the judgment day, on the judgment day, 
fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. So here I am. I'm a Christian. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. I'm saved. I'm born again. And so the next day I wake up and I start to build my house. And my house can only be built with one of six materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. And the gold, silver, jewels are good works. Pastor Chris, are you saying that you can be saved by good works? No, not at all. Never. In a million years. But after we're saved, we do good works as a response of gratitude and thanksgiving and love and all that. And every good work that we do is putting a little piece of gold or a big piece of gold, piece of silver, jewel into our house, this metaphorical house that's going to be judged when we go to heaven as Christians. And on the other hand, all the sins that I keep doing after I know Jesus, that's wood, hay, and straw. And we're going to be judged by fire. So what happens to wood, hay, and straw when you put fire on it? It's gone. Gold, silver, jewels, not so much. They endure. Okay, so I know some of you are still wrapping your brain around this idea that God judges us. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a minute. Same, same group of people Paul writes a different letter to. And, and they're not having an easy time wrapping their brain around this idea either. So Paul says this in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 5. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. That's an easy way of saying when we're still here, we're not in heaven. And we're not in front of Jesus' face. For we walk by faith. There it is. We do. He admits it. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, that's Paul's opinion. Most Christians don't have that opinion. I'd rather be here and not go there, most Christians say. But someday we're going there, and Paul says, let's get, it. Let's get to it. But then he says this. So, whether we're at home... That means that we're home with Jesus, or away, meaning here. We make it our aim to please him. For then it's, listen to this. You, you, if you have your Bible, you should underline this and circle it, whatever, how you can remember it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. He doesn't explain good or evil, again, because he's already said that good is gold, silver, precious stones. And evil is wood, hay, and straw. And so what Paul is saying is, we are going to be judged. When we go to heaven, we stand in front of Jesus. There's going to be a judgment seat. It's called the Bema in Greek. You might have heard that word, Bema or Bema. And we're all going to stand in front of Jesus one day. And Jesus is going to ask us a question. No, he's not. He's not going to ask, are you saved? He knows. If you're standing in front of Jesus for this, you're already in. Okay, what he's going to do is he's going to say, hey, let's, let's have a little review here. Let's see how you did after you trusted me as your Savior and Lord. What did you do with your life and all those times after you trusted me as Savior and Lord? Let's see if the building materials are gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. And then if we go back to these last verses, it says, if the work survives. Okay, here, I'm in my house. Let's just say for the sake of discussion that half of my house is gold, silver, and jewels. And half of my house is wood, hay, and straw. And so they, and half of my house burns away. Okay, so what does it say? If the work survives, the builder receives a reward. So whatever amount of house I have left, I get rewarded for that in heaven. Forever. But if the work is burned up, let's say I built with all wood, hay, and straw for all of my life after I knew Jesus. There's no house left, right? Look what it says. This is cool. It says the builder will be saved. It means I'm not going to go to hell, even though I didn't do anything with what God gave me, the gift of eternal life. But like someone, it says, but like someone barely escaping through a wall, escaping through a wall of flames. Okay, here's Jesus. I'm pretending just for a minute. I'm Jesus. I'm not, but I'm just pretending. And you're coming up in front of me right now, okay? 
least is first, you're all waiting to get judged. And some people picture it this way. Some people picture that all of us, of all time and places, are we go to heaven when we die, but we don't get judged until all of us are there. And here's why some people think that. Because what I'm doing right now, if you're, anybody in here under 12 years old, raise your hand. Okay, if you're really listening and you get this, you're going to live a lot longer than me, theoretically. And so um, my, my good works go on to you. And so I can't really get the reward for my good works until you come to heaven with me. So some people believe that. I don't know if it's true. And then if you help somebody know Jesus, then I get credit for that because it's gold, silver, jewels to my credit. All right. I know it's getting a little hard to keep the accounting here. But some people picture there's this big place where all the believers of all time and place are sitting and waiting for us to get judged. And so I'm sitting there after I die, you know, I'm up in heaven and we're worshiping God, having a great time. And I go to this guy, hey, hey, hey where are you from? Africa. When were you born? 1712. Ooh, okay. What about you? Oh, I'm from England. Well, when were you born? Before it was England. What? 400 A.D. No kidding. How long have you been waiting? I don't know. It seems like a couple minutes. Because eternity, time doesn't matter, right? So we're waiting for however many long it is. And then, and then they call the name. Chris Marshall. And i got to go in front of Jesus. And Jesus is going to go, huh. Huh. Hmm. 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 Not so good. Eh, pretty good. You know, I don't know how long that's going to take. I'm already 58 years old, and I can tell you what, there's a lot of straw and, and, and hay that's got to get burned up. You know, but there's, a, there's some good stuff too. So, anyway, here's the point all of us in the room who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we're going to go through that. But the cool thing is, I know this there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't walk away from that time condemned, even if we didn't do anything good. But we do go away rewarded if we lived our life to his glory. And so I want you to understand, because some of you have never heard this before. And if you've never heard this before and you let it sink into your heart, not just your head, but your spirit. And you go out of here and you say, the rest of my, in fact, all week, this week, every time I did something this week, I was going, hmm, is that gold? Silver? Jewels? Whoo, baby, that was straw. I better get rid of that. Right? Because we'll start to understand. See, it's not about works. Please, 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 please understand. I'm not saying go out of here and do better work this week. Try harder. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. Legalists say try harder because God might be pleased. God is already pleased. He created us. He redeemed us. He gave us a new life. But the key thing is this. If we live our lives seeking to do better and better and better so we look better than other people, that misses the whole point of why we're here. And on the other hand, if we go out and say, hey, let's eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die, that misses the whole point of why we're here. Both of those points say the same thing. I don't trust God to know what's best for me. Because God does know what's best for us. And all we have to do is let Jesus reign in our lives, rule in our lives by his Holy Spirit, and then go out and do what was natural out of that. And if we do, as we do, let's say as we do that, our lives and our work will matter. And it doesn't matter if your work is, you know, carpentry work or if your work is, uh, you know, you're a, a cashier at a Walmart or if you're, a, um, I don't know, a rocket scientist or, or if you're too young to go to work, you have school. Or if you're even too young to go to school and, you know, basically what you do is you, you make your bed every day or, or you pick up your toys, all of that can be gold, silver, and jewels if it's done for the Lord. What, what is work that lasts? Any deed 
done in the name of Jesus for his glory is a work that will last. And when I say last, it's gold, silver, jewels that last forever. It's our reward in heaven. Uh, the reason I was so excited about this is because all my life since I've been a pastor, I mean, not all my life since I've been a pastor, really for about the last 25 years I've been a pastor, my goal has been to make the day that you meet Jesus the best day of your eternity. And I don't know a passage that will do more to do that than this one. These two, I should say. Because if we get it, that God loves us so much that even though we rejected him and spit in his face, that he died for us and rose for us and reigns in power over us. If we get that, and if we let the Holy Spirit live in us every day, this community, this region is going to be transformed. You know, every single day there's somebody on the news that's saying Christians are hypocrites. And we are. We have to admit that first, straight up. That's wood, hay, and stubble. But every single day we have the opportunity to do something that glorifies God. Little thing, bigger thing, maybe a real big thing. And it's a big piece of gold, a little piece of jewel, I don't know. But if we build with that material, just imagine. I hope that when you face Jesus someday, that he's going, whoa, I never saw that much gold. I, I, I never saw that much silver and jewels in one house before. Because if you live faithfully, whatever you do, you'll receive a great reward. Read the story of the parable of the talents. The guy that had five and doubled it and the guy that had two and doubled it received the same blessing from God. It isn't about what you do. It's about how you do it. It isn't about what your position is. It's whether you hold God in the highest position, the position of glory. So here's our take home or our commitment for the day. I will work for the Lord's glory in all I do this week. I will work for the Lord's glory in all I do this week. Imagine what it's going to be like when we go out there and do that. And you're saying, well, you know, that's been a... You know, better than average sermon. Kept me interested. I didn't fall asleep, even though it's really long. But I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can go out there and do good stuff all the time. I know you can't. I know I can't. But I know this. God can in us. You see, Christ in us is the hope of glory. That's what Paul said. Paul said so many good things. If we know what the Bible says, what God's plan is for us, then we can go out there. And when the first time that we start to get the, to the side of building with straw, we can just stop and say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. I, I turn away from that. I, I want to do something good. But we have to be conscious of it. And we have to think about it. Because, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, we're all going to live this week until... Unless we die this week, we're all going to live till next Sunday or Saturday. We're going to come back. We're going to hear another message about God's general will and call in our lives. And then we're going to go out again another week and another week and another week until Jesus comes back or until we die. And what we're doing all of those weeks, all of those days, all of those hours, all of those minutes, all of those seconds is either work that lasts or work that doesn't. If it's all the same to us, probably be better to do the work that lasts. Because one day, it will matter. You see, the things that we do, the things that we believe, the things that we think now, here, they matter for eternity. And that's, the why, that's why we get up here every week and share a message from this book, because there's no other book that tells about the one true God of the universe who loves us with an everlasting love and who has designed a plan for us that will give us the best possible life we can have. If you want that, it's yours, free of charge.
All you have to do is trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your truth today. I thank you so much that you love us enough to care what we do after we trust you as Savior and Lord, that you care enough to judge our works and reward the ones that honor you and glorify you that last for eternity. And God, that you care enough to change us from the inside out so that the sins of our lives can be deleted and the newness of life can be enjoyed. God, I pray for everyone in this room, all of us, because we all feel less than, that we can't do it, and we're right. But God, I, I also know that we can do more and, and that you want to do abundantly more than we can even ask or imagine in our lives. And so I pray today that you'd pour your spirit into us in a new and powerful way so that we will do that, that we will live a life that's truly life here and now, because that's the only way that one day when we face you, that we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master's kingdom. God, thank you. And I pray for any in this room who even at this moment are teetering on whether or not to believe that any of this is true. I pray that you would open their heart right now in this moment and let them say, yes, I will put my faith in Jesus Christ because he's the only one who cared enough to die for me and rise for me and give me new life. And God, in this moment, I pray that there would be everyone in this room who doesn't know you will. And God, I pray for all of us that do, that we wouldn't worry about what we didn't do so far and what our houses look like so far, but that we would commit ourselves to glorify you in this moment, in this day, and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.